Good morning. Today we celebrate the world and we have these beautiful flags and we wish that the world was here and that we were all full together in this place. And we are not, so if you want to come forward and sit near each other so you have a sense of solidarity with the people you are around, please feel free to come closer. This will be a wonderful worship service. We do celebrate being a part of the world and are summons by God to break down cultures well, not break down cultures, but to strengthen cultures and break down barriers between cultures. And I hope that you will say that's my task and responsibility today as well. It's exciting to uh, welcome to the pulpit one of our own students, Christina Espergen, who is a senior. And many of us are excited to see where God calls her into the future uh, because she will be a great advocate for God's shining light all over the world. Would you please stand and sing our first hymn? We gather today as diverse body of people of many faiths and traditions. We do not speak the same languages of worship. We follow different teachings made known to, made known to us by sacred voices and scriptures throughout the ages. We do not utter the same prayers, nor do we even use the same word to speak the name of God. Nevertheless, we gather together in worship. In our gathering, we honor and celebrate our diversity. We do not seek a unity that would deny our difference. Seek rather deeper union. A union woven through choice and intent through time and attention, through respect and compassion, until we recognize that we have become a whole cloth. A cloth made rich and textured and vibrant through our differences. Each of us can hear in the beating of our own hearts the ancient rhythm of the loom at work. We are bound to each other. We belong to and with each other. Let us worship together. Let us pray. Source of all life, through your abundant love, you have called us to live with you and with your whole creation. Through this calling, we meet with opportunities, questions, and choices that require us to reflect on your purpose for us and how you encourage us to be in this world. Barrier-breaking God, you ask that we learn to love one another. May we be a sign of your grace and affirmation to everyone with whom we share your world. Today's first reading is from Philippians chapter two. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, being found in human form. 
The second reading is from Romans chapter 12. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with mutual affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal, be ardent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints, extend hospitality to strangers. Hello. <laughs> so my name is Christina Espigren, um, although many of the people in this room probably know me as Espy. Um, and as you've probably ascertained by this point in the semester, the theme of University Chapel is on purpose, for purpose. I love this theme because while I began to feel a strong sense of purpose at around age 18, this purpose has continued to develop and expand and be reestablished in my life in various ways. In fact, purpose is one of my favorite words, um, along with passion and justice, and my roommates and friends would probably tell you that I use them all together too much. So if you don't know me, I'm a senior. Um, at Kalu, obviously, um, and I <laughs> very much feel that my education and uh, my experiences here have led me uh, in this process of discerning and applying my purpose, um, and I can definitely say that CLU has put me on purpose for purpose. Before I begin, I should probably disclose that I am a bit of a social justice junkie. Um, through the scriptures, I hear the resounding call to uh, create an environment of fairness, equality, and solidarity among all people to bring the kingdom of God into our own communities and lives. Specifically, my passions draw me towards bringing about gender equality through the provision of information and resources that allow both women and men to advocate for control of their own reproductive and sexual health. So this last summer, um, as a part of uh, pursuing my passions and my purpose, uh, I interned at a family planning clinic in Nepal. I worked on developing and providing community education about re reproductive health. And while I was there, I lived with a host family and worked in a clinic with um, only Nepali staff. And while my boss and my host father and little brother spoke limited English, it was always interesting trying to communicate with my host mother and the nurses at the clinic, especially in Nepali, where it seemed that if you pronounced one single syllable wrong, suddenly a common phrase became like a suggestive comment. <laughs> if you want to know all of the things not to say in Nepali, come find me after the service, because <laughs> I'm pretty sure I said them all. <laughs> Whoops. Um, miscommunication aside, over the course of the three months I was there, I became very close with the, the nurses, especially in the clinic, and on my last day at work, I promised them that I would wear a sari. 
So I had absolutely no idea what I was getting myself into with this promise. Um, obviously, saris are incredibly beautiful, uh, but they do have to be the single most uncomfortable item of clothing that I have ever worn in my entire life. Um, it was great. When I was just walking around, the petticoat, which is like the little skirt part that goes under, uh, would stick to my sweat-drenched legs. Uh, yes, there was enough humidity uh, in the area to induce leg sweat, so that was also pleasant. Um, <laughs> and so this sticking of the petticoat limited my range of motion to maybe like one foot, like each step I took. Uh, and it probably looked like I was walking around in like a leg straight jacket. It was really attractive. Um, and my, my shoulder drape uh, thing that I had, you know how it goes with the psh. Um, well, <laughs> I was not the most, uh, I guess, conscious of what it was doing at all times. And apparently it kept on slipping down my shoulder. And one of the nursing students at the clinic had to keep on rushing me off into the back room to like cover up my indecency, uh, embarrassedly. Um, and then even the beads uh, at, on the like tie of the blouse, whenever I would sit down, they would like keep on jabbing me in the back and I always had to like grab them and like pull them. It was, yeah, it was pretty graceful is what I'm trying to say. Um, <laughs> but the reaction uh, from the Nepali women that I encountered that day was very unexpected. My host mother and grandma helped wrap it that morning. They circled around me excitedly, uh, each correcting the other one's draping technique. Uh, I think it took about 45 minutes to get it exactly right. Um, as I was going to work, old women just adopted me on the bus um, and would just, they were speaking to me in just like never ending streams of Nepali, of which I understood maybe like two things. Um, I, as, just as I was walking down the street, people would start conversations with me from their storefronts. Um, and when I walked into the office, the nurses actually like screeched. It was um, interesting <laughs> and a little bit startling. Um, so while the experience was uncomfortable for me, both physically, obviously, and uh, socially, especially because I was trying my hardest to blend in and not be seen as an outsider in the culture, I realized that the women were happy that I wanted to take on a piece of and experience their culture, uh, despite how funny I thought I looked uh, in the process. So while we usually go into volunteer work with ideas of service and giving, if you've done any volunteer work yourself or know someone who has, you'll know that most often we feel that we receive far more from the experience than we are able to contribute to the communities we're so-called serving. Uh, in our society, we're prone to construct an idea of service as a one-way process. Uh, there's the server and the served. We neglect the fact that God made us each different and each purposeful within the kingdom of God. And therefore, we're surprised when we go somewhere to serve, but in the end, we feel as if we have mostly received, especially when we think the community we are going into is, has far less to give than we ourselves have. In fact, even though we state that our intentions are to give of ourselves in service, we as a culture can be very stingy with our gifts. Uh, we put up barriers, even ones as seemingly harmless as clothing. 
that separate us so that we can maintain our level of comfort and even extravagance at the expense of alienating the disenfranchised. As Shane Claiborne writes, tithes, tax-exempt donations, and short-term mission trips, while they accomplish some good, can also function as outlets that allow us to appease our own consciences and still remain a safe distance from the poor. Even when we go out with the purpose of encountering another culture, whether nationally or internationally, we don't want to immerse ourselves past our own comfort levels. We're worried about things like sleeping on the floor, getting bug bites, uh, being on a bus with chickens, um, not having hot water or even a shower at all. We stock up our Kindle, uh, we make a new travel playlist on our iPods, um, and we check our cell phone provider to see what our international service plan might be. These are just a few of the examples of the kind of barriers I put up during my trip this summer. Because we refuse to tear down these barriers and become uncomfortable and out of our cultural element, we remain unaware of the experience of others. And we cannot truly be in solidarity with the poor. We are therefore unable to truly serve because it is impossible to address the needs of a community from an outside perspective. Instead, we must discern together. Even though putting on a sari was a small, simple action, well, uh, simple might not be the best word, but small, um, the re reaction that arose from it indicated to me how putting myself out of my cultural comfort zone connected me with others in a way that I didn't even realize there was a disconnect. In the Lutheran Church, we talk of this type of mission and service as the accompaniment model, which encourages those involved in international and national service to walk with the communities they're serving instead of placing themselves above as a benevolent entity. In doing this, we're following Jesus' example. For as Paul writes, Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. As Christians, our purpose is to follow Christ, and he models service in the most humble ways. But this paradigm shift from benevolence to equality, which is a rare perspective in our American culture, will not arise spontaneously for most of us. It is the result of the intentional seeking of new knowledge and experiences, and the synthesis and application of this information in our lives. We must be on purpose to discern our specific purpose within the body of Christ. Before I went to Nepal, I was telling my family friend, Yvonne, what I thought my purpose was. She questioned me, asking, why do you think it's your place to go into other communities and tell people why they need to subscribe to your ideas about family planning and sexual health in order to improve their lives? Don't you think that that's a bit culturally insensitive? I was taken back by her blatancy and conceded that, in fact, maybe I didn't know what was best for all cultures around the world. Ooh. I felt uncomfortable that I couldn't sufficiently answer her questions, which pushed me to explore this idea of cultural imposition and insensitivity uh, more as an independent study project last semester. After studying the history of population control, 
I realized the cultural imperialism, cultural imperialism implicit in the ways um, family planning has been dispersed into developing countries and how many of these underlying ideas persist even to this day after we have discarded the idea of population control in favor of more egalitarian and empowering family planning policies. This knowledge was invaluable during my internship because I was able to assess my own actions and whether or not they came with presumptions of my culture being superior to the one that I was in. But at first, I was reluctant to question my intentions. It made me uncomfortable that I might have to change the way that I was approaching mission and service. I wanted the purpose without the responsibility of being on purpose. We are called to break down the walls that we have built that separate us from the rest of God's beloved children. And this undoubtedly requires us to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. In order to find and refine our purpose, or how we are going to use our talents, gifts, and passions to contribu contribute to the kingdom of God, we must be willing to put ourselves on level grounds with others, on level ground with others. As Paul warns, we must not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, and we should do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than ourselves. Not only through a shift in our perspective towards equality, but also by real physical engagement in our local, national, and global communities. Because we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Thank you. Today, as we consider the world, I invite you to pray with your eyes wide open as we call to mind CLU's international students and the barriers that they have broken to be within this community. And as you see their names and some pictures of their home countries, may your heart expand to embrace different cultures and their communities around the world and our own communities. So join me in praying together with eyes wide open. Will you pray with me? Holy God, thank you for your beautiful world, for the rich diversity of peoples and nations across it. Our world seems so big, and we are so small. Widen our hearts, widen our minds to break down the barriers that we erect between people of different cultures. Unite us in bonds of love and goodwill that our struggles and through them we may work to accomplish your purposes on earth. Free us from all prejudice and fear so that we may see your face in the faces of people around our globe. We ask this in your strong name. Amen. Would you stand for the blessing and sending? From Ephesians, the fourth chapter, lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. The blessings of God be upon you, 
through God's grace and love of humanity, always, now, and forever, and unto the ages of ages. Amen. Amen.